Welcome to the Hope City Church Podcast. We're so excited for you to listen along and hear this week's message. We pray it inspires and motivates and draws you closer to Jesus. Let's take a listen. Amen. Amen. All right, guys. We are in our series on 1 John called, called Sincerely John. We are getting through. Listen, I did it in the first service, and it's my solemn sacred vow to you that we will get through all of chapter four today as well and next week we'll do chapter five and then we will move on to something else Uh, but John has been such a good study for us Um, John if you haven't been here or you weren't listening and you were tuning out and falling asleep right away as I began speaking over the many many weeks we've done this John was written to a group of believers who a group of followers of Jesus who uh, had begun to fall away, it began to get tired of following Jesus the way they once were. He was writing to a group of people who, um, outside philosophies and ways of thinking and beliefs, were creeping inside the church from false teachers, false prophets. They were creeping inside, trying to get the people who were followers of Jesus to... Um, intermingle these ideas with the Christian faith. And John was writing a letter to those people saying, essentially, hold the line. Don't give up. Don't turn your back on these things. Don't become wishy-washy Christians. Don't mix in the ideas of the world with the ideas and the teachings of Jesus. Stay true to what Jesus taught. And I think this is so good for us to look at now because we're living in a day and age probably like never before, where the ideas and the philosophies and the teachings of the world are trying to creep their way inside the church, and there are people inside the church that are grabbing hold of these philosophies and the ideas and making them part of themselves. And and the Lord Jesus Christ is wanting to say to his church, "Don't, don't give in, don't succumb to the peer pressure, don't turn your back on the things that you've been taught from the beginning, but hold fast to the truth that you've been given in the word of God. And so that's why it's so good for us to look at this together and work our way through. What I love, you know, I I think I said this a couple weeks ago, I both um, don't enjoy and I both really do enjoy teaching this way. I I don't love, typically it's not my favorite to go through a book of the Bible verse by verse because I get too excited and I want to like yell and teach other things. But I do love going verse by verse, because what it does is it gives us an opportunity altogether to see what the Word of God says. So then you can't be like, oh, I think that dude made that up, but you can see for yourself that these are truths found in the gospel. Amen? So why don't you stand up with me so you can stretch your legs for a second. I'm going to read through the first six verses, and uh, if you have a Bible or a bible device of some kind, why don't you open it up? I'm going to read these first few verses Uh, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and then I'm going to go back and make just a couple points, and then we'll go into the next section. Uh, 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 1, says, Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test to see if the Spirit they confess or they, they have comes from God. For there are many false prophets in the world, and this is how we know if they have the Spirit of God. If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body, that person has the Spirit of God. But if someone claims to be a prophet and doesn't acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. Such a person has the Spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard is coming into the world, and indeed is already here. Verse 4 says, But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. We need to read that again so you can hear it. He says, You belong to God. Look at a neighbor. Somebody standing beside you say, You belong to God. He says, You belong to God, my dear children. And he says, You've already won a victory over those people because, this is why you've already won the victory, because the Spirit who lives in you 
is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. The spirit he is talking about is when you give your life to Jesus, it's what we call being born again. And when you give your life to Jesus, the Bible says the spirit of God comes and lives on the inside of you. And what he is saying here is that very same spirit, which the Bible says the same spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead lives and dwells inside of you. So that spirit that is inside of Sam, the spirit of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, that spirit is stronger than any other spirit you will ever encounter on this planet. Amen? Then he says, those people belong to this world, so they speak from the world's viewpoint, and the world listens to them. But we belong to God, and those who know God listen to us. If they do not belong to God, they do not listen to us. That is how we know if someone has the spirit of truth or the spirit of deception. Go ahead and grab your chair, and we're going to jump into this. I'm going to make a couple points on it. So this first six verses, like I reminded you at the beginning, there are these false teachers that are creeping into the body of Christ, and they were called Gnostics. And the Gnostics believed that the body, your body, maybe not your body, the person beside you, their body, uh, was evil, was dirty, filthy, could never be redeemed, could never be clean. And so these people, because they believed that, they were sneaking into the church and trying to tell people, your body is evil, and because your body is evil and dirty and filthy, God would never come down from heaven in the form of a human man and take on a dirty, evil body. And so they taught that Jesus never came in human form. That's why John is teaching this. That's why John is talking about this right now, because that's the teaching that was going around. Now, we don't have people really, for the most part, that go around today try and teaching that, hey, uh, Jesus didn't come in a human form. He was just a spirit. He never actually lived in a human body. And, and they don't try and teach that. But they do try and come to you in different ways and bring different truths and different philosophies and say different things to you that you will listen to and try and bring into your Christian faith and make it a part of your Christian walk and try and find a way to marry the world idea and the word of God. And what the point is, the bigger point that he's trying to get at is he's trying to say, you you need to hold fast to the teachings found in the word of God. That's, that's what he's trying to get at. And so what he's saying is, is these voices are going to come into your world. These voices are going to come into your life. And if you're honest, we could probably all say, yes, there are voices that have tried to come into my world and into my life and bring false doctrines and false teachings to me. Because as we know, some of the truth in the word of God can be hard to walk out and live, can't it? Listen now, you, you know the rules. You all got to make some noise while you're at church. You all got to pretend like you're happy to be here. You all got to like talk when we, yeah, you don't have to pretend. You just got to be happy. Um, and so he's talking, this is the idea, because we have voices that will come into our life and try and cause you to move away from the truth of the gospel. We've talked about this often, but there is a very real enemy in the world who seeks to destroy you. And one of the ways that he seeks to destroy you is by bringing lies to your life that you will embrace and allow to find a home in your heart and allow to form your ideas and your, your ideas about Jesus and your ideas about others that will cause you to go astray. And so you need to be vigilant. And so the first thing I want to look at here is in this first couple verses here, the first verse, he says, don't believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You can't believe every voice that comes to you and says something to you. You need to take the voices that you hear. You need to take the scriptures that you hear. You need to, when somebody stands up and preach, when I stand up and preach, listen, when I stand up and preach as the pastor of the church, uh, one of the reasons I think it's so important that you bring a Bible to church is so that you can see things in the word of God yourself. And so when I'm preaching, it's my desire that you are reading along in your Bible, making sure that you can see what I'm saying in the word of God, not just taking my word for it and not just taking anybody else's word for it. You need to test the spirit you need to test what's being spoken so that you know that it's actual truth because there are listen do not get your theology from instagram i saw i saw a clip i saw a clip of a comedian this girl doing doing a, a stand-up show and she said 
the joke was, I can't remember exactly how it was, but the joke was when I was meeting uh, with my uh, counselor the other day, my counselor was giving me this information. But then the joke was, she started telling what her counselor said, and her counselor was doing a TikTok dance. And then she said, yes, I get my counseling from Instagram and TikTok. And many of us get our theology, we get our ideas about Jesus, we get our ideas about life from social media. And listen, yes, there is some great stuff that you can find on Instagram. There is some great stuff you can find on even Facebook. There's some great stuff you can find on TikTok. But do not allow that to be the only source where you get your ideas and your beliefs and your foundations about God, his church, and his people from. <laughs> because as many as there are awesome people, there is also as many, if not more, wonky people. And if you are not judging what you hear by the word of God, and if you're not careful, you will get off track and you will get off base and you will begin to believe wonky, weird things yourself, right? So he says, everyone claims, not everyone claims, sorry, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the spirit. You must test. That word test is the Greek word dokimadzo, and it means this to try, to prove, discern, distinguish, approve. It has the notion of proving a thing, whether it is worthy or not, to make trial of, put it to the proof or examine. So what he's saying is, is when someone comes to you and brings an idea or a thought or a philosophy or a theology to you, that you don't just gobble it up and swallow it whole, but you take some time and examine it for yourself to make sure that it actually lines up with the truth in the word of God. And dear ones, I want to remind you, this is our truth. This is our foundation. This is where we find our life. This is our guiding star. This is what we look to in all of our circumstances. You don't look to Instagram. You don't look to Facebook. You don't even look to your mom and dad necessarily. You look to the word of God to see what it says about your life, your future, and your relationships. Are we, are we okay? Are we okay? Self, are we okay with that? All right. Just making sure. Making sure we're all on the same page here. He says, you've got to test these things. Then he says in verse 2, this is how we know. This is how we know. And, and one of the ways that you can know if somebody is speaking from God is what they say will line up with the word of God. If what they are saying to you, if this new idea, this new theology, this new doctrine they come and bring to you doesn't line up with the whole truth found in the Bible, then that's when you say, mm, I don't think so. Mm, I think you might be wrong. Mm, I'm not going to listen to you unfollow. Yeah, I'm going to unfollow you because I don't want this in my life. Not unfollow you in real life, just unfollow on social media. Are you all in this room? Can I tell you this as well? If you have people in your life who have wonky theology, who are listening to weird preachers, who are not preaching the word of God. Listen, when I say weird preacher, listen, maybe some preacher just isn't your cup of tea. But as long as they're preaching the word of God, leave them alone. But if they're wonky because they're not preaching the word of God, and you have friends or family that are gobbling it up, we have a responsibility as followers of Jesus to come along and say, hey, I love you so much, I'm going to tell you the truth. That dude... That lady is weird, and here's why they're weird. Because the Bible says this, and they're saying that. Now listen, I know it's not very Canadian to be controversial. I know it's not in our nature to come to somebody and say, hey, hey, oh, gosh, i got to tell you something. I don't think you're going to like it. I'm so afraid to tell you what I'm going to tell you right now. Listen, I, we just don't love that. We probably say sorry a thousand times. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm, so, I'm, I'm going I'm, I'm to apologize before I even tell you what I'm saying. Then I'm going to apologize why I'm telling you what I'm going to say. I'm going to apologize when I'm done. I'm going to send you an email and a text message both apologizing after the fact because we're so Canadian. That's how we are. We're just so sorry about everything. But listen, you have a responsibility 
As a follower of Jesus, if you have somebody in your life who is getting off track, allowing false things, false teaching into their life, you have a responsibility to come to them and say, I love you so much that I am going to tell you the truth right now. Maybe those people over there, they're not going to tell you the truth, but I love you and I want the best for you. So here's the truth. I'm sorry in advance. Here it comes. We have a responsibility to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to help keep them walking in the way they should go. And that's what John is doing here. He's saying, I love you so much, I want to remind you of some things that maybe you have forgotten, maybe you've let go of, or maybe you're just not holding as tight as you once were. But I love you, so I'm going to tell you the truth. Let's go to verse 4. He says, you belong to God, my dear children. You've already won a victory of those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. I just wanted to remind you of the scripture. I just wanted to take a second and look at this verse together because so many of us go through life feeling like we are losing, feeling like life is overwhelming, feeling like we can never make it through, that there's always something standing against us that is stronger, that is bigger, that is better than we will ever be, and we feel like we're stuck in place and we'll never get past it. I want to remind you today that if you give your life to Jesus and he comes and lives on the inside of you, that that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the Bible says, lives on the inside of you. And right here he says, the spirit that is inside of you is stronger than any spirit in the world that you will ever face. So it doesn't matter what you come up against. It doesn't matter what you're dealing with. It doesn't matter even how big and scary and bad it looks. If you've got the Spirit of God living on the inside of you, you can walk through those addictions. You can walk through that depression. You can overcome that anxiety. You can overcome that fear. You can walk through all those issues in your relationships. You can walk through that lack. You can walk through that sickness because the Spirit that is inside of you is Spirit that's greater than the Spirit that's in the world. Don't forget it. I don't want you to forget that. I want you to remember that whatever you're facing, that if you've given your life to Jesus, you're able to move through those things because the greater one lives on the inside of you. I just love the phrasing, the greater one, the greater one, the greater one. The greater one lives on the inside of me. Remember when you were in school, I don't know how you were taught it, but remember the greater than and less than symbols? I loved them. The way my teacher taught it to me was the alligator. And the alligator is the open mouth, and he eats the, the less one. He's greater than, greater than. But I love the idea, and I love the wording of the greater one, the greater one. The greater one lives on the inside of you, Todd. The greater one. So no matter what you're facing, no matter what things look like, the greater one lives on the inside of you. So as, as you move through life and you find yourself facing obstacles and circumstances and, and issues in your life, it doesn't matter what that is, is you've got the greater one living inside of you. Greater than anything else. Just gobble it up. Mm -mm -mm. Here comes the alligator mouth. Gobble, gobble, gobble. The greater one is inside of you. Don't forget it. Don't forget it. If you need to, draw it on your hand. Draw the alligator mouth on your hand. And remember that the greater one lives inside of me. And so no matter what I'm facing, no matter what I'm dealing with, I'll just, just walk around. I'm like, hold up, your, hold up your alligator hand. Greater than, greater than, greater than, greater than. Well, why are you holding your hand up to me? Uh, because uh, the greater one lives inside of me. <laughs> Do you think there's something wrong with me? Nope. Nope, not at all. The greater one lives inside of you. We're running out of time, guys. Let's jump ahead to verse 7. <clears throat> and we're going to work our way down to verse 20. I'm going to read these verses to you, and then I'm going to come back and make just a few points to you on what stood out to me. But before I do, actually, I want to read verse 4 to you in two different translations, just because it's so good. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 in the Good News translation says this, But you belong to God, my children, and have defeated the false prophets. Any voice that rises up in your life that is contrary to the word of God is a false prophet. Anything that says to you the opposite of what God says is a false prophet in your life. And he says, You belong to God, my children, and have defeated the false prophets because the spirit who is in you 
is more powerful than the spirit in those who belong to this world. The Amplified says it this way, little children, you are of God, you belong to him, and have already defeated and overcome them, the agents of the Antichrist, because he who lives in you is greater, mightier than he who is in the world. Never forget this. Never forget the spirit that is inside of you is stronger than anything you will ever encounter or face. And as you remind yourself, as you walk through life, dealing with everything that we all deal with, we all have issues that we face every day of our life. And sometimes they look insurmountable and we will never overcome them or walk through them. We don't know what to do or how to get around them or go through them. But if you remember that living inside of you, the greater one is dwelling and he is greater than anything you face, you will move ahead in power and victory through him. Amen. So verse 7 Let's go there together. It says, dear friends, let's continue to love one another. For love comes from God, and anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. If you ever wondered what real love is, John says, I'm going to tell you, this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and then sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us. And his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify the father sent his son to be the savior of the world. All who confess that Jesus is the son of God have God living in them and they live in God. Verse 16 says, we know how much God loves us. And we've put our trust in his love. God is love. And all who live in love live in God. And God lives in them. God is love. And all who live in love live in God. And God lives in them. That means that your life is meant to be lived in the arena of love. That as a follower of Jesus, that you move from the neighborhood of complacency or indifference or the suburb of, I don't really care about you, or the cul-de-sac of sometimes I love you, sometimes I hate you that you move from those areas into the neighborhood of love. And it is where you live your life and your entire life is found. The concept of living in love means that everything you do, because God is love, he just said, so everything you do, every action you take, every Every word you make, <laughs> you can see my problem here. <laughs> For those of you who don't know the problem is, it's very close to a sting song. <laughs> Every breath you take, I'll be watching you. <laughs> but it's the idea of your whole life is wrapped up in living in love, in loving people the way that God loves them. That means seeing them the way that he sees them. That means treating them the way that he would treat them. It means that you don't get an option. If you live in love, they kind of have their own, the neighborhood of love has their own bylaws and their own strata. Who lives in a strata here? Yeah, it's awesome. Only three, me and you live, are the only, me and you are the only people who live in a strata here? Nobody else lives in a strata? Okay. Isn't it great? Yeah. They have all kinds of bylaws and rules and, and fines and all kinds of things. 
But when you live in the neighborhood of love, there is a guideline that you live by where you're treating everybody the same way that God would treat them, that you see them the way that God would see them, that you interact with them the way that you know God would interact with them, that you talk to them the way that God would talk to them, that you spend time with them the way that God would spend time with them, that you don't reject them when they hurt you, that you don't retaliate, that you don't plan revenge, but you live in love. And if you're living in love, you're living in God. And so you are treating people just like he would. which is actually pretty difficult. It's, it's hard work. It's hard work to live in love. And I think that's part of the problem is because since it's such hard work, many of us choose the easy road where we just treat people how we feel and what we think they deserve as opposed to choosing to treat them the way that our Heavenly Father says we need to treat them. This way requires a lot of self-restraint. This, this way requires a lot of self-sacrifice. This way requires you putting your own feelings and desires and flesh down. This way over here in the neighborhood of complacency means you get to do whatever you want. This is like the hooligan neighborhood where nobody mows their lawns and there's couches in the front yard and the whole house is like half burnt down and it's just like people are yelling. It's like, it's like you know what I'm talking about. Like, it's like that neighborhood. Well, let's keep going because this is so much fun. Let's keep reading this passage of scripture. <laughs> he says, God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. I want to remind you just of this fact as well. That as you live in God, he says, your love grows more perfect. It is a process and it is a journey to live in love. But as you walk through life and as you choose to live in love, the Lord is able to work inside of you, giving you the grace and the strength to walk through each situation and as you do that, his love is made more perfect in you. As you bump up against people, I know none of you feel this way, but other people have people in their lives they don't like. I know you guys don't have people in your life you don't like. You're like, we love everybody. I'm friends with everybody. Other people outside of this church right now have people in their life they don't like. And here's what happens. As you bump into those people, if you will submit your own feelings and thoughts and desires to the Lord and say, this is how I feel, but I know you're calling me to walk in love right now, so I surrender this to you. He will give you the grace and the strength to walk through that. And as he does and as you do, his love is made more perfect in you. Do you see that? It's a journey. Don't think, well, listen, if I give my life to Jesus or when I gave my life to Jesus, everything's going to be perfect and great and rosy. I'm not going to have any people problems. I'm going to love everybody. It's going to be easy. Ah, no. Ah, well. You get more opportunities to walk in love. He says in verse 18, verse 17 says, as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. We will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels. That is the Greek word balo, and it means to cast out or to throw. It gets rid of fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God who we can't see? And he's given this, this command, those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. I'm going to go back and just make a couple points out of here. Some things that stood out to me in this passage of scripture We've got like three minutes left together. I may go a couple minutes over, just being real with you. Just brace yourself. Put on your safety belt if you have to. You may call it a seat belt. My family called it a safety belt. I don't know. Um, okay, so first thing I want to tell you is this. 
in verse 8 right here. These are just some things that I noticed about love. It's not by any stretch of the imagination exhaustive. And when you study the word of God yourself, more things may be revealed to you. And that is my hope and that's my desire, that you don't just read your Bible, but you study it, that you open the book and that you allow the spirit of God to speak to you as you take your time. That may mean that some days you read one verse and God speaks to you out of that. That may mean some days you read 12 chapters because you just can't get enough. But whatever it looks like, it's you're taking your time and allowing the God to speak to you and that you are studying the word for yourself. So the first thing that stood out to me was this. It says in verse 8, uh, anyone who doesn't love does not know God, for God is love. I want to tell you that first off the bat, love comes from God. He is the originator. It's where it comes from. The idea is his. The concept is his. And in fact, I love the wording here. It just says love is God. It doesn't say that God loves really well. It doesn't say that God is a master lover of people. That sounds weird to say, I know. But that's not what the Bible says. What it says is that God is love. It is a defining characteristic of who God is. Anything that is not, any love that is not found inside of God is just an imitation of what he created and what he designed. God is love. He's the creator. It's his idea. It's who he is, okay? The next thing I want to show you is this, is that it reveals your identity. Love reveals your identity. In these first couple verses, chapter se or verse 7, verse 8, it talks about if you know God, you will walk in love. It says in verse 8, anyone who doesn't love does not know God because God is love. So if you are walking in love, it shows that you are his child. If you are not walking in love, it shows that you don't know him. Love reveals your identity. It, love reveals whether you're a son or a daughter of God or if you're a son or a child of the world. Listen to me. So many people in the body of Christ say, I'm a child of God. He is my spiritual father. I am born into the kingdom. And then walk around talking about how much they don't like people, how much they can't stand that person, how much they never want to see that person again, and all these kind of things. And right here, John lays it out very plainly for us. He says, if you don't love, you don't know God. And if you don't know God, that means you're not his child. So you've got to walk in life. And what I love is, is really the idea is, it's, it's not so much a choice where you get to choose who you walk in love towards. Where Levi gets to say, I'm going to love this person, but I'm not going to love this person. I will like this person, but not love them. I will hate this person, definitely not love them. This person I love, this person's okay. This person love, love, dislike a lot. We don't get that choice. Basically, the defining line is just this. If you're a child of God, you will walk in love. If you don't walk in love, he says, you don't know him because he is love. And so if you're not walking in love, you must not know him, which means you're not his child because you're not representing him and you're not duplicating and you're not replicating his characteristics in your life. This is so much fun. Love reveals your identity. It shows that you know God. Right here it says it's super plain. He says if you love, you know God. If you don't love, you don't know God. Verse number 10, I love this. It says this is real love. This is real love. This is real love. 1 Corinthians 13 is a great chapter talking about what love is. Again here, John says, this is real love. If you ever wanted to know what real love is, it's this. Not that you love God, not that I love God, not that all the people who came before us who gave their lives to Jesus love God. That's not what love is. Love is this. He says, love is that God loved us, and then because he loved us, it moved him to an action that brought reconciliation to you and me. It says, God loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says that God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die while, he, while we were still sinners. While you were still dirty, while you were still messed up, while you were still far from him. God loved you so much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross to reconcile me and you to him. That's what love is. Love is a way and a means of reconciliation by moving that which is over here to back into right relationship and right restoration. Listen, I want to tell you this today, that love is not safe. It, well, it is true. 
love, love's not safe. Real love. Real love will cost you everything. Real love will cost you laying down your desires, laying down your preferences. Real love will cost you surrendering your hurts and wounds, your desire to justify yourself. When that person stabbed you in the back, and when that person betrayed you, when that person stole from you, stole your innocence, or stole your, your peace, or stole physically from you, or stole your objects, whatever, it requires that you surrender those things. It will cost you a lot. It's not easy, and it's not safe. It costs you trusting in Jesus, saying, this is a little bit outside of my comfort zone, but I'm going to walk in this anyways. Do you think Jesus felt comfortable and safe going to the cross? Well, you know what? I just want to lay down and take a nap. That looks like a safe, cozy place. I'm going to crawl up there and let people beat me and stab me and whip me and nail me. Real love is not safe, is not easy. But real love reconciles you, which is what the Lord did by sending his only son to the cross to pay that price that took us from this dirty, messed up, broken, separated person back into right relationship with him. Let's look at verse 12, 16, and 17. I'm almost done. Can you just hang on with me a couple minutes? Six people said yes, so we're still going ahead. I heard Cadence. I heard Cadence say it, so we're moving. Verse 12 says this. Uh, no one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. Verse 16 and 17 says, we know how much God loves us, and we put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who uh, live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, as you live in love, your love grows more perfect. Living in love and love is a maturing process in your life. As you surrender to him and as you surrender and choose to walk in love, it is a process of your life that will bring you to spiritual maturity, to spiritual fullness, to spiritual wholeness and completeness. But it requires that you surrender yourself and say, I will walk in love. I will choose love. I will choose love. Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. One of the most powerful things that you could say in your life in any given situation and circumstance where you find yourself facing a person or a problem is these Three words, I choose love. And you just say them over and over and over again until you believe it and until you're walking it out. I choose love. Even while that person is screaming in your face, I choose love. Even when they're stabbing you in the back and you know it and they know it, I choose love. Even when they're saying terrible things about you, I choose love. Even when they've stole things from you, I choose love. And as you choose love and as you walk through it, it matures you and makes you more complete in who God has called you to be. Can I get an amen up here? Verse 18 says this, Such love has no fear because perfect love expels, casts out, throws away all fear. Love removes fear. There is no room in your heart and in your life for fear. And when you are living in love, when you are living in God, he removes fear from your life. It goes on to talk about how if you fear, it's because you have not fully experienced God for yourself. Knowing, the idea is, is that you don't know for yourself who God truly is. The idea is, is that you don't really know him and so you're afraid of him because you don't know how he's going to react in any given situation and circumstance. But if you really knew God, you would know that God's heart and his desires are for you, that he's not some big bad schoolmaster waiting to strap you because you messed up, but he's there to lead you in love back to where he's called you to be. And so when you know who God really is in you and towards you, what his desires are for you, it causes you not to be afraid of him. There are so many people who are afraid of God because he's going to punish me for all the things I've done that are bad. God's going to give me a spanking and it's going to hurt. Who remembers spankings? I used to get lickings all the time. Good old family from the south. That's how I grew up. I did not like getting a licking. The worst part, listen, this might lighten you up a little bit. The worst part 
was when I got in trouble and I was a little bit older and my mom would say this to me, you just wait till your dad gets home. Because everybody, you reach a certain age, as you're growing up, you're like, my mom's not tougher than me anymore, so if she spanks me, it doesn't hurt, and we can just get through it. But many of us think of God the same way that I thought of, just wait till your dad gets home, that he's up in heaven waiting to pounce and punish you, and it causes fear to rise inside of you. But John's saying if you knew who God was, if you knew what his nature was, you would know that his desire is for wholeness and completeness and matureness and restoration. And so he's not waiting just to give you a big old spanking, but he's waiting to walk you to restoration in him. And so when you know that, it removes fear from your heart and your life. The last thing that I noticed here which stood out to me was this. Verses 19, 20, and 21, John talks a lot about loving other people. He says that we love each other because he loved us first. We love each other. Say each other. We love each other because he loved us. Then it goes on and says, if somebody says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can you love God who you can't see? And he's given us this command that those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. All through these 13-ish verses, uh, 14-ish verses, John is talking over and over and over again about loving other people, loving other people, loving other people, that you are called to live in love. And if you're called to live in love, then you are required to love other people. And I was thinking about this. As I was thinking about it, I was just thinking about the real true fact that it's hard to love the people that are close to you, isn't it? Is anybody here in love? <laughs> it, it's hard to love the people that you live life with, where you're day in and day out with these people, and, and, and they can't figure out how to load a dishwasher. They can't figure out how to, how to wash the gunk off the dishes before they put them in the dishwasher, or they, they don't understand, you know, all, all the crazy little things that we get frustrated, Right? You can love people who are far away from you so easy. You can go to Starbucks. You can go to Tim Hortons. You can go to the mall. You can go to Disneyland. You can go wherever you, you can go to the movies. And you can treat those strangers like they are the best people on the planet, right? And they can leave and you can leave. And they can say, wow, that person, that person, Dave just made me feel so good. I don't even know who that guy is, but he just made me feel like a million bucks. And that's so easy for us. But it's so hard it can be to love the people in our lives who are close to us that we live day in and day out with and they can't figure out how to do this and they can't figure out how to do that and we're always going to help and they got to help us and we're, we get frustrated by the little things am I right and I think one of the reasons that John was saying you got to love your brothers and sisters so well is that because in Matthew uh, or John chapter 13 I think verse 35 Jesus says they're going to know you're my disciples by your love and the people outside of these four walls and the people who know you are a follower of Jesus, they will watch how you live your life and they will watch how you treat your wife or how you treat your spouse. They will listen to how you talk to your kids when your kids come up and bother you. They will, they will listen to how you talk about your boss or your teacher or wherever you find your life. They will listen to those things and see if you can love those people that you do life with well because if you can love those people well, then they say, hmm, I bet if they can love those people well, they could love me well. They could, wel they could welcome me into their family. I could come and be a part of what they're doing because deep down inside, everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants to be accepted. Everybody wants to have somebody knowing that they love me, they care about me, they think about me. And so he's saying, you got to love them well. you got to love them well. you got to love those people close to you well because people are watching. One of the last things that Jesus said to us was to go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. It's great that we come here and sing songs and worship the Lord together and talk about Jesus and give each other hugs and high fives and hang out and go have Chinese food at the smorgasbord together, all those kind of things. Those are awesome. But listen, at the end of the day, there's people out there that need what we have. They need that love that we've been given. And so they're watching you to see if you really believe what you say, if you really believe what this book says, and if there's a place and a home for them 
like you try and tell them there is. Stand up with me. I'm sorry, I went a little over. I blended on Jen in the first service because it was easy, but it wasn't true. <laughs> and this service, she was quiet, so there's nothing I could blame it on. It's all, it's all me. I was just so worked up in worship. That's what the problem was. I was so inspired during worship. Just, I want to do this before we go home. I want to pray for us. And I don't know if I did a great job trying to communicate what I was in this service, but the idea in this chapter is to hang tight to the things that we were taught at the beginning. And those things that we've been taught at the beginning, those things that are the very core of the gospel is living a life found in love. And that means we gotta love everywhere we go. Every person we encounter. We've got to open our hearts to them and love them the way we know God loves them. We've got to treat them the way that we know God would want them treated. And that's the hard part. Because on one hand, we could say, I know how God thinks about this person, and I know how God would treat this person, but I don't want to treat that person that way. And the hard part is getting our flesh, our mind, our will, and our emotions to come into line so that we can begin to be people of God and of the kingdom and love others like he did. And so what I want to do is I want to pray for us. And if as I was talking, I just want you to close your eyes. And if as I was talking today, you, you could say to yourself, you know, I don't really walk in love the way that I'm supposed to. I don't really, I, I know that I definitely don't live in love. I don't live in that neighborhood, but after hearing this and after looking at these scriptures, maybe I need to move into love. Maybe I need to live there. Maybe my life needs to change and I need to change how I treat people and act. Then what I want you to do is I want you to raise your hands and I'm gonna pray for all of us together that God increases our heart, that he increases our capacity to love, that he gives us the ability to love other people the way that he does. And I want you to raise your hand as a sign to yourself, saying, yeah, I could love better. I could love more. I'm not really loving the way that I should. I'm gonna put my hand up as a, as a signal to myself that I'm getting real, that I'm getting transparent with myself. I'm gonna be honest. And I know that whenever we get real with the Lord, He meets us in those places. So Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus for your word that always brings revelation. It always brings clarity, hope, love, and life. And Father, I ask for all these people with their hands raised up, I ask that you increase our love, that you teach us how to walk in love, how to live in love. Father, you know the situations that we're all facing, the relationships that we're all in, the, the places where we're stuck, and we, we don't know how we're going to move past this point. And God, I ask right now that you are causing us to see those people in those circumstances through your eyes through the lens of your love. God, I ask that you help us to love those people and those circumstances the same way that you would. I ask in the name of Jesus that you teach us to walk in love, that you reveal to us what love looks like in any given situation. Father, I thank you that you are enlarging our hearts, that we are moving forward in you, and that your love is being perfected. And Father, I thank you that as we do this, 
as we continually choose love, we choose love, we choose love. No matter how many times we gotta say it, Father, we just keep saying we choose love, we choose love. That you are enlarging our hearts and increasing our capacity for those people. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus right now that any walls of deception, that any strongholds, that any chains fall off in the name of Jesus and are broken. That the greater one is living on the inside of us, enabling us to walk through all things. Jesus, we love you. We're so thankful for all you're doing, for all you've done, and all you continue to do. In the mighty name of Jesus, we all said, Amen. You want to sing a song? Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you are drawn closer to Jesus and that His Spirit, His love, and His life are filling you right now. If you'd like more info about who we are and what we're doing at Hope City, head over to hopecitychurch.ca to find out more. And if you liked what you heard, head over to iTunes and rate the podcast to spread the word so others can hear too. And oh, one more thing before we go. We just want to remind you that you were made for hope.